1: Summer is officially over. How can you tell? Well, Congress is back in Washington, D.C. This episode of Parts Per Billion, we talk about the next few weeks and months on Capitol Hill and about whether any environmental bills might make it to the president's desk. Hello, and welcome back to Parts Per Billion, the podcast from Bloomberg Environment. I'm your host, David Schultz, and we're coming to you from capitol hill today because the august recess is over and now it's a big legislative sprint from now until christmas and i'm joined by bloomberg environments capitol hill reporter dean scott dean how are you great to be here david so yeah let's talk about that legislative sprint and first off let's start off with just this month uh the fiscal year of course ends at the end of this year Uh, And there are several things uh, that must pass before the end of the fiscal year. Let's talk about those and will there be any environmental provisions uh, attached to those bills? Sure. Well, we have a couple different tracks, but it's all money, money, money because we're almost at the
0: end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. So we have about three weeks to go. And in that time, we have a couple things that are. Well, that we'll be watching very closely in the next couple weeks. The first is on spending. We have two things that we cover very closely, the EPA and Department of Interior Appropriations Spending Bill and the
1: Energy and Water Bill. And these are the bills that basically say, hey, federal agency, here's how much you can spend for the, the coming year. And if Congress doesn't pass these bills, the agency is shut down. That's right. And then they also have some policy in those bills,
0: usually around the margins. Um, the big issue this year is that the House has passed its versions of those bills and the Senate has been a bit tardy. And in the end, what where that's left us is we're in September and we're less than 30 days away from the end
1: of the fiscal year and we have no Senate spending bills approved on the floor. So given that, uh, I get the sense from everything I've been hearing and from what you've been reporting that... Uh, we're going to have a continuing resolution, which is essentially Congress's version of saying, uh, let's just move the deadline back uh, uh, a couple weeks or a couple months. Is that right? That's right. So any, any bills that don't make it, so let's take our EPA interior and then
0: energy and water bills as, as examples. If neither of those bills were packaged with other things on the floor and passed, then we would need continuing resolutions,
1: some short-term extension for spending for one or both of those. And the reason why these are important is, be- well, at least important to us and important to the people who care about the environment is there are all kinds of things that can be added on to these bills that affect the environment. Um, you know, you never know what's going to be added on. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are some potential ideas that you've heard in the past or potential pieces of legislation that might, you know, hitch a ride on these sort of bigger bills?
0: Sure. Well,
1: uh, on the EPA
0: Interior bill, the th- key thing to- for that we're watching is. Uh, Take EPA spending, for example. In the House, they have near-record EPA figures in terms of an annual budget. So you'd really get a big boost in EPA spending if the Senate went along with that number. Uh, We expect it to be a somewhat more modest number, and we'll know a bit more about that on Thursday when they release essentially the allocations from the Appropriations Committee here in the Senate, you'll always see things in the in the um, EPA and Interior bill that would restrict some EPA policy. The thing that we're watching closely this year—it's the first year that the
1: House is controlled by Democrats. Let's take a step back and talk about must-pass bills in general, you know, and how Congress works now. It seems like. The, the, you know, not a lot of bills get passed out of Congress and make their way to the president's desk. The only ones that, that typically do are these must-pass bills, uh, like you mentioned, the spending bills, uh, because if they don't pass, we have a government shutdown. Uh, is this how Congress operates now? You know, we just have must-pass bills and then try to add on as many things as you can to those bills? Yeah, and the list of must-pass bills seems to grow each year, um,
0: partly because they miss a lot of their deadlines more and more this year, for example, I'm looking at three big, uh, let's call them, big categories of bills that must pass. One, as we've already spoken about, is the continuing resolution or the, the an EPA interior spending bill, the 12 appropriation spending bills that need to be passed. We'll know as we get closer to September 30th which ones uh, will require a continuing resolution, and that's supposed to last, uh, give them, let's say, 30, 60, 90 days of breathing room, and then they'll have to actually pass full-year appropriations bills, which would then run through uh, September of next year. Then
1: we have the defense authorization bill, which is a must-pass bill. And we're going we're gonna to get to that a little bit more in a, in a bit, but that's interesting in that it's a must-pass bill, but there's not really a hard deadline for that, right? They, they, you know, if, it, if they go past the fiscal year, there's not a lot of, nothing catastrophic happens. That's right, and we're watching the defense
0: authorization bill closely though in the environmental arena because there's mainly there's two two to three subject areas that we're watching closely. One is there's a lot of climate change language in the defense authorization bill. There's always been some language that says, hey Pentagon, you should be looking at the impacts that climate change has on your defense installations, your operations overseas. This could be anything from impacts of, uh, we call them climate refugees, but the movements of people across border, across borders. We also have um, a stronger Uh, stronger language in the House bill this year on what actions the Pentagon should take around climate change. And then we have two other areas which deal with the PFAS chemical issue, the exposures to that chemical and that group of chemicals.
1: And we should say that this is is a really big area that both you and I have been covering a lot. These are these chemicals uh, that are sort of uh, used a lot in firefighting foam and have been used a lot on military bases. They're linked to some uh, pretty bad health effects. And there are a lot of really interesting policy measures in this, this defense bill that would uh, direct the Pentagon what to do about these, these uh, chemicals, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what winds up in the, in the final version of that.
0: Yeah, and then there's one that we've um, also followed closely that has some climate um, uh, relationship to climate change, which is the Use It Act, which is a carbon capture bill that has passed uh, the Senate. Um, not the house. Carbon capture, explain that a little bit. Um, if you're drilling for oil and gas, and you use carbon di- dioxide, which is sort of the most ubiquitous climate pollutant that we have, um, if you use that material and you pump it in underground, you can recover deeper deposits of natural gas and oil. And if you do it right, you can seal that carbon dioxide underground. We've had some increase in those incentives in terms of tax incentives, for example. Uh, This latest bill also includes uh, additional money for research and also for technologies that do direct air capture, which is this sort of next generation technology that would actually pull carbon dioxide right out of the air. And this is something that, that, from my understanding, has some Republican support. It does, and uh, Senate Barrasso, who's the chairman of the Environment Committee here in the Senate, is a big advocate. But it also has um, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island, who's who's a uh, who's a big uh, sort of climate hawk we call him over here in the Senate. So that that's going to be important to watch
1: also to see um, whether that stays in. Before we move on to the rest of the year, we should talk. You mentioned there's you know, the, the must pass uh, spending bills to avert a government shutdown, there's the must pass defense bill to avert a uh, defense uh, not working properly, to phrase it very inartfully. Uh, and then there's programs that are set to expire that have their legal authorization expire that, that probably everyone wants to see renewed but, you know, not sure how. Can we, Let's touch briefly on, on one of those, uh, the National Flood Insurance Program.
0: That's right. So the National Flood Insurance Program, of course, is, um, is getting even more attention of late because we have yet another round of hurricane damage uh, in the U.S. And that, as you know, that the flood insurance program is always struggling, needs to be reauthorized. And then whenever we need to reauthorize it, there is a debate, particularly among more conservative members of Congress, as to just how much money we're shoveling into national flood insurance. And uh, whether we should be more, uh, let's say, strict about whether uh, property owners can rebuild in areas that are more prone for future hurricane damage. But again, they're up against an also a September 30th deadline. And I think, you know, if you were to be a, a betting person around that, you would not necessarily see that
1: being reauthorized in time. Yeah, and I I don't think anyone in Congress from any party, any, you know, ideological stripe wants to see the national flood insurance program expire right in the middle of hurricane season. Finally, though, let's talk about, um, you know, the state of play for the rest of this year and into next year. You know, what I've seen so far this year, and, and you know a lot better than me, but it seems like the Democrats in the House and the Republicans in the Senate don't have a lot of eagerness to cut a deal and to negotiate and to sort of compromise and send really big environmental packages to the White House. Do you see that changing next year when a lot of members are going to be up for re-election and start to think like, "Uh uh-oh, I need to, you know, have something I can bring back home and wave to my constituents when I'm, you know, campaigning? I think through the end of this year, I would look to see at least, you know, some
0: incremental progress on a number of energy bills. There's a lot of, there's the feeling in the Senate Energy Committee from the chairman, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and the top Democrat, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, that they really do want to produce something from their their work on climate and energy. Uh, these would be very moderate bills and probably be incremental. They might include things like energy efficiency. I would expect to see some mo- more movement on those bills. Uh, so we're going to see activity and we're going to see some progress. I doubt we'll see much passed on the Senate floor because they're going to need something to hitch that on We'll be watching closely for another big conservation bill, the Land, Water and Conservation Fund. There'll be a, a, another effort. It's a, it's an, we're going into an election year. There are many Republicans and Democrats who, like, who who like conservation. It's sort of a safe area in the environmental space to... To promote that you have green credentials. The problem is next year, the closer we get to the November 2020 election, the less we'll see things get done. Yes, there'll be some effort probably by Senator McConnell who runs the Senate. Here we'll see some effort to perhaps give some Floor time to members uh, or to to legislation that's favored by some vulnerable members, such as Cory Gardner in Colorado, or, or even uh, Senator McSally, uh, from Arizona. We could see some some things uh, that come to the floor to give them a chance to sort of promote whatever it is that will help them with voters, including some green green issues like conservation. But that said, the closer we get every election cycle to the actual election, the less that seems to actually get
1: done in the U.S. Congress. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, so I guess it's the opposite of what I, what I kind of was expecting for next year, although it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if you're looking for environmental uh, action in the Senate next year, expect it to have something to do with Colorado uh, and, or, and or Arizona. All right, well, that was uh, it. Thank you so much, uh, Dean, for that rundown. Uh, That was Dean Scott, Bloomberg Environment's uh, Capitol Hill reporter. Uh, You can follow him at news.bloombergenvironment.com. That's where his and all of our stories get posted. Today's podcast was produced by myself, along with Marissa Horn and Jessica Coombs. Nicholas Anzalata is our audio engineer. The music for this episode of the podcast is A Message by Jazar. Thank you for listening. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icon, co host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on the ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move.